to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined by Stuart Mandel. And today, Stu, we have, a, we have one of our favorite guests, our colleague, Andy Staples. We're going to get into a lot of things, but one of the first things we're going to talk about is a story that you wrote and spent a lot of time on, and it is about what has gone on with Pac-12 football, why has it struggled so much, and what the league can do now that Larry Scott is gone and out of the way as the commissioner. To read that story, you can go to theathletic.com slash theaudible, and you can get 20% off. Thanks, Bruce. That was a uh, that was a heavy lift. A lot of work went into that story. Um, happy to talk about it, and especially happy to have on the host of the Andy Staples show himself, Andy Staples. So, Andy, your friend here, Mr. Mandel, spent the last... Seven months working on this Pac-12 story. We've Two months. About it. We've heard about it and heard about it. And so it it went up on the site on The Athletic this morning, Tuesday. Uh, it's a very interesting piece. He should be proud of it. We're proud to know him. Uh, <laughs> there are a couple of interesting takeaways. The first thing for me about, so the basically the hook of the story is why Pac-12 football has been floundering and what the league can do now that Larry Scott, in Stu's words, is finally purged. So I didn't use those words at all. <laughs> but you were thinking it. So um, the question to me, and I want to ask Andy and Stu if you guys feel this way. The number one thing that I think ha- the Pac-12 has going against itself is unfortunate, but it's like Pete Carroll isn't the coach at USC anymore. And if, if he still was, I think most of the problems here are gone. Disagree or not? I'd agree with that. If USC is what it was in the early 2000s, where they are essentially what Alabama is now, it's a totally different. Because think about it. That, now, it's not that, it's not that way now, this year or last year or, or maybe in the year before, but there were some periods where Alabama was carrying the SEC fairly recently. And it carried them long enough to get to the point where LSU could win a national title and, and where Florida could have its best team in, in however many years. And so now they're not like that in the SEC. And the Pac-12 needs that. And I don't know if it has to be USC, but USC is the most logical candidate because they have the access to the best players. So I, I'm with you. If, if there were one powerhouse in the Pac-12, we would feel differently about the Pac-12. And I'll give you an example. The ACC has been god-awful below Clemson the last few years. Now it got a little bit better last year, but you know, as in 2016, it was, it was really pretty good in terms of the teams below Clemson, you know, Louisville had a Heisman trophy winner. Florida state was still pretty good. Um, it was just, it was just better. And then 17, 18, 19, the league was bad, just straight up bad below Clemson. And it feels like that's changing again. And, and those teams are getting better now, but we didn't look at the ACC the way we looked at the Pac-12. And we didn't do that because of Clemson. So if whether it's Oregon or USC or somebody else, if one of them becomes dominant, perennial playoff team, national title contender, we don't look at the Pac-12 that way anymore. You know, as, as many pointed out in that article, the Pac-12 top to bottom, I don't know that there's any clear evidence that it's worse than the Big 12 or the ACC, certainly. You know, I wouldn't put it up against the SEC, uh, but we just because of the playoff and how it dominates everything now, you are basically judged in the court of public opinion entirely about did you send a team to the playoff? You know, and Clemson has has held up the frankly, Oklahoma has held up the Big 12 in that way. Um, so if they did have that team and, you know, from a from a eyeball point of view, you would I think if you're the Pac-12, you'd want that to be USC. But Oregon is recruiting at that level. Oregon could be that team. Um, a lot of this goes away. A lot of the perception goes away. The problem is, and as I wanted to delve in in this, like it's starting to become a self-fulfilling thing now where because you haven't made the playoff in several years, now the Bryce Youngs and the best players, leave. The best players are Young going. Play, yeah. Yep. They're going 
to the places where they think they can make the playoff. The two, there are two top 10 players in the country this year in the state of Washington. And one, one's going to Ohio. One's already at Ohio state and the other's deciding between Ohio state if and Alabama. Only there were some way for the PAC 12 to alter the format of the playoff <laughs> to make sure the PAC 12 got in. Yep. Who'd have thunk it. And Larry Scott never pushed for it. And Andy, you're the one who finally got him to actually. <laughs> we had, there was a why conference call. Him why he hadn't like it. And it, it was like, it, the, the answer was a word salad, but it, the, the, I mean, translated, it was like, well, I never really thought of that. Like, I know, and I know people have been telling him to do that. I just don't understand why, why he wouldn't do it. I mean, I don't understand why Bowlesby isn't louder about it with the Big 12. I mean, the fact that Oklahoma's gotten in a few times doesn't change the fact that they're thought of as the next one out. So erase that perception by creating a, a thing where you don't have to worry about whether you're the last one out or the next one out. You're just in. And then may, then work on getting two teams in. Yeah. And then the recruit doesn't feel like they have to leave to make the playoff. And look, you can't, the next commissioner can't unilaterally make that happen, but they can be a lot more of an ad, advocate for it, certainly, than Larry Scott was. And by the way, Jim Phillips is the commissioner of the ACC now, and I know he's got mm-hmm. different bosses than he did at Northwestern, but he's on record supporting an A-team playoff. So, and I think the Big Ten would feel that way, too. I mean, the Big Ten's had his champ left out of the playoff. Well, and Delaney, the before SEC, he retired, was pushing for it. Yeah. The, the SEC is not going to stand in the way because the SEC's attitude is, you go to eight teams, great, we'll get three in. So I, I don't think you've got a problem. There will not be much resistance to that, except maybe from the Bulls or whoever. So maybe that's why they have to wait to, to the next TV contract. But I, there shouldn't be resistance to the idea from the stakeholders. And, and every group of five is going to be for it because – I think you have to reserve a spot for them. And I actually think that's good for business if you do. Stu, if, if I take this premise of Larry Scott, and the, this is somebody who lives in the Pac-12 footprint, um, I made a point to try to make sure I got the Pac-12 network. I feel like uh, not a lot of people you know, have access to that. There's a lot of things. My, my biggest observation with Larry Scott over the years is he was more concerned about trying to be innovative as he would use the term all the time than he was about keeping the main thing, the main thing to the point where I just don't think that um, they were playing a different forcing a change to the playoff, be innovating it. You would think Andy, right. But I think, (laughs) I think they, he made such an effort like to look this way when the rest of college athletics is looking this way. Um, it's not to say he wasn't well-intentioned and I think some of the people who were his constituents, and I'm talking about university presidents more than, than, Mm -hmm. than, uh, you know, the rank and file fans, I just feel like, you know, their interests are different than the people who probably listen to this podcast and read our stuff. And I think that that's how he operated, but I would ask you, Stu, you spent a lot of time working on this story. What do what do people who look at Larry Scott and and see man this guy just really with a lot of the things from the optics which were bad which you went into in the story but what are some things where you're like okay I'm he deserves the benefit of the doubt and this really either and I don't want to say it's like USC being bad it's not his fault I'm just saying what are some things that maybe people don't understand that he did that probably were he got a he didn't get he didn't get a fair shake. On. Right. I think one thing people don't understand is that he himself has bosses and those bosses are the presidents and chancellors of the PAC 12 schools. And they themselves, like, for instance, a good example, right? So one of his quote unquote initiate in, innovative things was to start that annual basketball game in China. I'm sure that thrilled PAC 12 for, Oh, you're going to, we're going to get, you know, brand exposure in China and we can recruit students to our universities. Like that's how many university presidents, especially PAC 12, they're looking at it. How can I use athletics to benefit my university, to get better students in, to, you know, get more people to know about our excellent professors, et cetera. PAC 12 fans don't give a crap about that. They just want to make the playoff. And if you and so that's what I think there was this huge disconnect between what the presidents cared about and what the AD, what the people actually working in the athletic departments and on the football staffs need to be successful. So 
is that on him for not, you know, getting their, getting them more bought in? Or is there just like kind of a, that's just the culture of of the West coast and the PAC 12 that they're never going to, you know, as I said in the story, they say, like, if I said to you though, the PAC 12 is never going to be the sec. You might take that. If you're a PAC 12 fan, you may take that as an insult. Heck yeah. We could be as good at them as football. No, no, no. The PAC 12 presidents say that to each other all the time. I'm told we're not the sec in like a bragging way. Like we're never going to be, Throwing seventy-five million dollars at a football snob. coach. That yeah. Too? What's that? Don't some Big Ten people say that too, though? Yeah, but Big Ten people can can have have it both ways. Have that duality. They they can, like they they say that, but I'm then not they're use the H word. But they, yeah, they they can they can say it out of one side of their mouth and then actually. I mean, that. you can play the high and mighty card, but at the end of the day, if you write the checks, right? Like, I don't think Michigan is lacking for. Uh, Oh, I think Michigan, but Michigan, Michigan's probably the one that that doesn't like. They don't care enough. Their fans do. I'm not sure their administration does. I don't think like, their Ohio current State, president does. Yeah, Ohio State cares about football, and they they don't apologize for it. And my thing is, look at Ohio State. They run a world class university. They also care deeply about football. You can do both. Well, Andy, to the to not to bring it back full circle here, but. Well, one of the reasons I do think a some sort of premier league type thing will happen is if the, at the end of the day, like Ohio state has much more in common with Alabama, Georgia, LSU than they do with most of the schools in the big 10 athletically, academically, they will say, Oh, you know, we, the reason we value our big 10 membership is because we consider ourselves right. academic equivalents to all these schools, but athletically, you know, Ohio state operates in every way, with the, you know, no, with the importance on football no that you're talking Michigan, about. Michigan can't operate that way. There's no reason Michigan State can't operate mm-hmm. that way. They all can. Some of them are they, starting to. I mean, I think you saw that with Michigan State and the money they threw at, at Mel Tucker and, and the way they've beefed up their operation. Like they're taking that mentality, you know. But yeah, in the Pac-12 where they're the conference of champions, right? They, they take great pride in their Olympic sports as they should. Um, but like you know what, how, what you could do to really help your Olympic sports get better at football. If you're better at football, more people watch it. If more people watch it, you make more money. If you make more money that a lot of that money can go to your Olympic sports. Yeah. Well, I, I thought the comments under your Pac-12 story were, were just as telling first one from Edwin college football is woven into the fabric of life in the South. There were, there were about 48,000 fans in the stands for the Alabama football spring scrimmage. Would that happen in LA enough said? And Mike chimes in immediately. That's because there's nothing else to do in Alabama. And, and what, what this evolves into is a actually fairly nuanced discussion. Very respectful, by the way. So I thank you commenters at the athletic uh, where they're talking about, yes, there are other things to do in the South. I, I live in the state of Florida. Like the beach is very close there are lakes there. We, we can do fun things outside too. We just care about football more than you do. And that's okay. Like that, but that's kind of the existential crisis here in the PAC 12 is in one place. It just means um, more. <laughs> and in one place it means less. I think just as somebody who lives here and in, in Los Angeles, I think there are, a decent number of people who are very passionate about college football. I think the thing that is different and Andy, you were talking about just outdoor activities and there's definitely, you know, here it's like you are the beach is right near you and you can go skiing like the same day if you wanted to. But what's different I think is, and I I don't want to say this is an all because certainly Georgia fans would, you know, would have this near Atlanta, but you have a lot of fans here who like, their favorite team is the Lakers. They grew up. The Lakers right. have been great. That's and, and all I think they that's, know. That's there's the a, bigger thing. There's is, a lot of fans who have the Dodgers are their favorite. Um, I'm not necessarily getting into, you know, the Angels or the Clippers right. or even but, the Rams okay. are back. It, it, it's interesting because the because the nothing to do thing. You're right. This is the real argument. This is the nothing to do argument. Stupid because, like, let's say you live in Gulf Shores, Alabama. Like you're going to the beach on a September Saturday morning, but you will be in front of your television by the time the tide play or the time, by the time Auburn plays. I just think it's the allegiance. Like I would imagine if 
you were to go to a, 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 you know, any high school around here and say, who is your favorite team, period, not say who's your favorite basketball team, or whatever, right? you would see more Lakers here. Like, I can't imagine there's a place, like obviously the Heat are in Miami and obviously, you know, near you is the Magic, Andy, and, and you know, the Hawks, but it's not the same, like no. where... It, in, in Florida, now you're going to have some Bucks fans and some Dolphins fans, but usually when you ask somebody who your favorite team is, it is understood that you are asking who their favorite college football team is. I mean, I lived in Atlanta for, means. for five years from 99 to 03, and the Braves were really good then. They go to the playoffs every year. The Falcons had just gone to the Super Bowl. And none of that, you know, UGA just was – there was, no. you know, the UGA Atlanta, was so Atlanta much more important than any of those pro teams. Yeah. yeah. Atlanta on a college football Saturday is incredible because – it does yeah, draw so many fans, people yeah. from so many different schools. And it's and and for all of them, college football is the most important. Yep. Well, look, I, I, you know, there's a lot that didn't make this story. You know, as you guys know, when you interview a lot of people, like you have a lot of quotes you would have loved to have put in there. And somebody said, you know, look, I don't think the beaches just got there in the last five years, right? The beaches have always been there. The mountains have always been there. No, that, uh, no the beach, that hasn't. I, I believe. I believe there were beaches when USC was really, really exactly good in the early part of this century. So it's all true. Everything those commenters are saying is true. I live here. You could walk around. You know, Stan, even when Stanford had Andrew Luck, you could walk around Palo Alto the night before the game and have no idea that there was a big college football game the next day. Um, that being said, it didn't stop them from being good. It didn't stop USC from winning a lot of games under Pete Carroll. The fans came out. Bruce, I would ask you as an LA fan, this is not something I thought of, but it came up in the comments. How much did Pete Carroll benefit from the fact that LA had no NFL football during that time? I think there was some. He was the star power. Now, certainly uh, the Lakers were that too, but I think there was something to that. But I think Pete Carroll was such a great fit in Los Angeles because if you were to think, and I would ask you guys this to weigh in as well, Pete Carroll is probably the most charismatic coach I can think of who's been in college football of this generation. Um, just when you're around him, like you guys went to his practices. There were no yeah. there aren't college football practices that are like that. Um, so he was a really good fit here. There was star power. I mean, a lot of the stuff, the planets aligned really well. Because I was thinking when you said the beaches have always been there, you know, 23 years ago and, you know, Tolner's the head coach and it's like USC wasn't very good. Right. And they had to change the culture of the place. Um, I think that was longer than 23 years ago. No, it actually wasn't that much. Longer. Like Pete was, old, he got there basically. Oh, he replaced, um, I, I, you're just mixing Hackett. up your, re, re, yeah. your underachieving USC coaches. Yeah. But I mean, it was like, I'm just saying like in the late nineties, USC wasn't very good. Obviously Oregon, you know, that was long before, you know, Chip Kelly and Mike Bellotti had it rolling and they weren't like where they are. Um, so you had Washington and Washington state were good, right? Washington state was great that one year. Um, and UCLA had more success, but for the most part, it's like, I feel like here USC hires its fifth choice or whatever Pete was at that time. And then all of a sudden they became the powerhouse program. And to flip it a little bit, when Andy made the Clemson point, I wasn't thinking that way, but like, there was a time when Urban Meyer got that Ohio State job. You know, it wasn't like the Big Ten was exactly riding high. No, right? you know, like no, it was, there was a lot of bad he stuff. Changed, he out. changed. He changed the the trajectory of the Big Ten. He, he changed everybody else in there too because they had to compete with him. I mean, remember Brett Bielema complaining about oh, yeah. the the end of the the gentlemen's agreement? The the Big Ten was in very much the same place the Pac-12 is now for many years, where Ohio State would go to the big game and get creamed, and everybody would talk about how they're slow and they're so far behind the SEC. I can remember more than once calling Jim Delaney on J January second to talk to him about how awful the Big Ten was on New Year. Like, you know, they went winless the on great, New Year's Day or something. The Jim Delaney open letter was the <laughs> uh, the SEC is faster because they're dumber open letter. I, so, I, I truly enjoyed that. So all of which is to say, Bruce, like, and I hope people do read the article. I put a lot of work into it. You can use our promo code, theathletic.com slash the audible, get a discount, read the article and read a whole lot more. Um, but that being said, if, if USC fires Clay Helton after the season and hires their next Pete Carroll, I'm probably not writing this article, right? Like they would be very good again and the respect would come back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I watched a bunch of the spring games this weekend. I know you guys did too. And it, first of all, it's amazing to me that in 2021, you know, look, you're always going to gravitate toward the quarterbacks in these games, but I feel like that's all that matters now. Like, How's Bryce Young look? How does DJ look? How do the new Ohio State quarterbacks look? Because that's who wins the national championship now is the teams that have the most scary offense. And um, my takeaway was, my gosh, Alabama has done it again. Like, you wouldn't think they could have another, you know, you go from Mac Tua was what, the number four pick? Mac Jones might be the number three pick. Bryce Young, I'm not going to annoy him like that just yet, but he looked really good. But more importantly, like, they're going to have had four receivers drafted in the first round in the last two years and uh, or five. Is it the run gets even longer when you don't, I mean, you're just talking about this. Back. I mean, go back. Yeah. It goes to back the to Ridley's Amari and Amari Cooper's. And- sure. 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 But just in the last couple of years, Devonte Smith Hen- Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen well, Waddle. And now I'll they've got a whole nother I wave. I believe they went from 1969 to Julio Jones without a first round receiver. And, and now they're going to have four in two years all the time. That is but, a great stat. Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, I, the guys that we saw out there in uh, in the spring game, you know, in, including a true freshman, you know, it doesn't look like they're going to miss a beat. No, I, I actually like their D-line. I, I think that's going to be one of the strengths of that team this year. I, I don't know if the, it's going to be hard to be as good as they were on offense last year because just yeah. how often are you going to have that level of talent and, and, you know, at every level, offensive line yeah. was loaded. Running back was a great all around player. As you mentioned, a Heisman winning receiver and a quarterback who could operate, who, who yeah. knew the system. In and now, the, the guy who I think will be the most interesting piece of their offense, and I don't know that he'll be the most productive, but I think he may give them some versatility is Jaleel Billingsley. Uh, you, you saw how Florida used Kyle Pitts. I don't I'm not saying he's that good. I am saying you can do some of the same things. And I think. That's going to make them, yet again, a very tough matchup. Uh, you know, very, very tough to defend. And we know Mechie's good. Uh, the I'm blanking on the name of the freshman receiver Ajay. who looked great, uh, number 17. Um, Ajay, Ajay Hall, right? That, yes, Ajay Hall. He yeah, looked like, us, like he's already been there for four years. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, that, that's, that's how they reload. Now, Clemson's interesting because – they're they don't return a lot of receiving yardage you know that 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 group is going to have to prove itself although justin ross is back so i think we're we're probably forgetting that he didn't get to play last year not officially yet hopefully he gets cleared yeah he's hoping Uh, he said he thinks he'll be able to play um and then you, you know nagata is is he's just a physical freak and hasn't really had a chance to to show all of what he can do yet. And then uh, my guy from uh, Alberta, Canada, Joe, Joe, that's, that's the one I'm, I'm waiting to see. Andy, you like all these Canadian receivers. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you, let me ask you guys opinion on one team in particular though. Georgia is that team. Now it reminds me of Texas in the early years of Mac Brown, where like, I'll believe it when I see it, you know? Um, But that being said, you might see it. Yeah, I mean, that being said, so the first thing that caught my attention was Max Olson, our colleague, every year does the uh, most efficient returning quarterbacks in college football, not by efficiency ranking, but by yards per play, both passing and rushing. And so he put out his list and who's number one, not Sam Howell, not Spencer Rattler, not Brock Purdy, JT Daniels, who I know only played four games last year, but their offense definitely looked a lot better once he took over. Then in the spring game, JT Daniels throws for 323 yards. Spring game stats, not all that you know, useful, but I bet you nobody has done that before in a Kirby Smart Georgia spring game. Um, is this the year? Is this year for what? Clarify. They win the national, national title? Georgia, well, first they got to win. First they got to beat Alabama in an SEC championship game, assuming Alabama's there. So, and they didn't, you know, they, the two Georgia and Alabama played last year. It was actually a close game going into the fourth quarter. And then Alabama put them away. 
that was with Stetson Bennett as the quarterback. So with JT Daniels as the quarterback, uh, is this Georgia's year? Well, if we use the uh, the 24-7 sports talent composite, which puts together the combines recruiting rankings of every player on every roster, what do you think is number one? Probably Georgia. It's Georgia. That's right. Alabama two, Ohio State three, Clemson four. Wouldn't that, Georgia probably been one, one or two the last four years, though? Since Kirby's they, there. They've, they they've been won the last two years. They, they were yeah. number one last year as well. That didn't work um, out for them last year. It didn't because they were starting Stetson Bennett at quarterback. Now, they were supposed to start Jamie Newman, and I keep wondering if that had come to pass, would it have looked different? I don't know that it would have changed anything because I, I, they may still lose to Alabama and Florida, and then the season looks the same. So I don't, I don't know. They were also one of these teams that tried to install a completely new offense under Todd Munkin uh, with no spring practice and Zoom sessions and whatnot. I don't know that we really got to see that take off. The quarterback who was supposed to be the starter leaving right before they started camp or right after they started camp, actually. They they had started camp when he left. So that that part, I think you have to think about that. Like they're going to have a starting quarterback who is there the entire time and is not at least they hope going to dip out right after they start fall practice. And I think that's going to make a difference. I think the fact that they bring so many guys back on defense makes a difference. Losing Pickens really hurts because Pickens is, is elite, but they should be able to make up for that. They should have the talent to deal with, with an injury like that. Andy, give me the percent chance Georgia wins the national title this year. 20. That's exactly what I was going to say. Really? Yeah. I think that, look, I mean, this is a rare year where um, all of the top contenders, I don't know that any of them really have a quarterback question. Maybe Ohio State. I mean, we, we don't know. It looks like CJ Stroud has the lead, but I don't know. I'm just not all that worried about it. Ryan Day will have that guy ready. So because of that, I don't know that there's much separation between Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia. Oklahoma. I um, also think the SEC West is a hell of a lot harder than the SEC East. I know that's not saying much, but this year especially, it's going to be rough in the SEC West because LSU is going to be good. Texas A&M is going to be really good. Ole Miss is going to be one of those teams that can beat somebody on the wrong day. Like Arkansas under Sam Pittman seems to have a lot of fight in it. Like it, there, There's not going to be an easy game. I think – you know, Leach will get things. They will not be what they were in the middle of last season where they just look non-functional. Like once that roster is the way he would like it, they're going to be a tough out. So I think that's that's the issue. And we, I didn't mention Auburn because we don't really know what Auburn's going to be under Brian Harson. But let's be honest, Auburn always has talent. You know, there's always money in the banana stand, <laughs> as, as they say on Arrested Development. Yes. Auburn always has good players. So I'm not worried about them being, you know, they're not going to be bad. And so you've got that. And then Georgia, on the other hand, is playing in the East, where Tennessee is is got all kinds of issues. Florida beat Georgia last year, but with the best team it's had since 2009, lost the quarterback, lost the alien at tight end, lost the – you know, the best receivers. So it, unless Florida's defense is significantly improved, Georgia should be able to beat them this year. Georgia, by the way, had their own freshman stud receiver in the spring game, Adonai Mitchell. Um, yes. they've, they, they've got the other, they've got their own the Kyle part. Pitts type tight end, you know, in, in the making. Yeah. And they also don't play Alabama and don't play LSU and Florida has to play them both. Yikes. So I don't know. We'll see. You know, it's kind of a believe it when you see it, but I do think a lot of things line up for them. I mean, I just said about how everybody's strong at quarterback. Theirs is the only one, though, that's got a lot of experience. The others are big name recruits who we think will be really good, but we haven't seen much or any of them yet. So um, my only other observation from the spring games, well, Bruce, you went to the USC one, so I'd be curious to hear about that. But I watched some of Utah's just to see Charlie Brewer and Charlie Brewer didn't throw a single incomplete pass. To me, that could end up being one of the more underrated uh, transfer portal pickups of the offseason that a four-year starting quarterback who uh, played in the Big 12 title game two years ago up and went to Utah. Yeah, and look, they took a bunch of transfers. It's hard to keep track of all the guys that Utah brought in. 
and who's playing. I would be, uh, you know, you can never underestimate a Kyle Whittingham team because I feel like they almost always uh, outperform expectations. So USC thoughts. Their O line is really shaky. I think that's the problem. Keaton Slovis. I don't want to hear that, Bruce. I want the like. I want them to break through at some point. Like, that, <laughs> uh, that's the last hard. thing you I want to hear. They have a new offensive line coach, and it's it's somebody who Clay McGuire, who's an elite pr- protege like Graham Harrell, so he knows that system in and out. Um, but this is, I think, this is the issue where they've had so many O line coaches come and go over the years, and they they lost arguably as good an offensive line prospect as there was in college football last year in Elijah Vera Tucker. And you could tell they're going to miss them. They're going up against USC is good on the D line. Drake Jackson, I think is a first round player. I mean, say this about USC. They are going to have the two best players named Drake in college football because Drake Jackson is a big time defensive lineman. And Drake London is a big time wide receiver. And I think Slovis and he are going to put up pretty big numbers. Uh, Keontae Ingram did some good things, a Texas transfer at running back. Um, but again, I just think that to me, USC is good enough to be a top 20 team. I don't think USC is good enough to be a legit playoff team. I think there's a gap there, but you know, look, they're going to add, we talked about the PAC 12 recruiting issues. Corey Foreman was a lot of people's number one player in the country. He stayed home. He's going to be probably on the other side of Drake Jackson. That's a nasty one, two punch that USC is going to come at people and they have pretty good players inside. Now it hurts them that Brandon Peely uh, had a major injury and is going to be out for a while. That's a re- he's a really good defensive lineman, defensive tackle, but you know, there's some pieces for people to look at. Um, I think they're good. It was good to be out. Oh, by the way, I, I don't know if either one of you guys have been out at the Coliseum since they really renovated it. I forgot um what a good job they did with that it was pretty you know it's obviously a uh storied building um and it was so it was cool just to be out there at a spring game but um i would pump the brakes on anybody who's thinking of putting usc in the top 15 all i want to know is are they gonna because the only fitting thing here would be to just extend this clay helton drama for another year would be for them to go like 10 and 2 win the north and then lose to oregon in the pac-12 championship game and, and just stay right in that realm of like, well, that's not really bad enough to fire him, but it's also not really what we want. Yeah, look, they've upgraded so many other aspects of the program. I think the, the, the challenge is that a lot of everybody likes Clay Helton. I just don't think they want him as their head coach at USC. And yeah. they have because they've recruited well this year. Now, they recruited really poorly two years ago when he was really on the hot seat. He wasn't on the hot seat really people didn't think he was getting fired last year so that helped them in recruiting um it's you know like look i think that if that scenario happens what you just said Stu, which is 10 and 2 lose to oregon what would be interesting to me is what is oregon then if oregon's like 11 and 1 and then goes to 12 and 1 and is in the playoff i think there'll be a lot of people who would at usc would go that's the guy who should be our head coach. The guy who comes down here and gets a lot of players is an O-line guy, is a big city guy, has a, you know just a lot of physicality. USC does not love the air raid and that kind of – they were student body right, student body left. And I think there would be – you know one of the challenges with USC is if you fire Clay Helton and it's going to cost – it was going to cost a fortune to do that, where do they turn? Right. And – I could see if they lose to Oregon again, I could see a lot of people going, "Hmm, maybe that's the guy we should hire. Because of some news this week that is not college football news, but has kind of suddenly um, sparked a lot of college football discussion. That is the, the super league uh, in soccer. Um, Obviously start on this, Steve, can we ask this question? I know I don't follow soccer hardly at all. I bet, mm-hmm. you know, at all. I don't think you do. I'm pretty sure Andy doesn't. So these no, are no, three least informed uh, international soccer people who work at The Athletic. That's correct. Well, it, in, in a population, not just people who write for The Athletic, but also college football writers who are overwhelmingly big soccer fans. And now I did watch Ted Lasso. And I feel like I, I'm glad I'm glad I did because it gave me more of a some color and some feel of what this is all about. But I'm not going to 
so we're not going to insult our listeners who are soccer fans and try to claim that we, we, we know the ins. I know that people are hurting, uh, that this news came as a shock and, and that overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly people hate this idea. That being said, you know, my initial reaction was, oh, this is exactly what I've been saying is going to happen to college football in the next decade. At some point, and I've written about this, there, the, the big money college football programs are going to say, you know what, Ohio, Ohio State, I'm tired of generating half the Big Ten's TV value and then giving all but one fourteenth of it to Purdue and Illinois, et cetera, et cetera. Same with the college football playoff. Andy, you wrote your column reacting to the news. And my column was two years ago. You, you put one out Monday that immediately generated a lot of discussion. And I, <laughs> and I didn't envy you because you actually tried to limit it to 15, like the Super League is going to be, which obviously causes a lot of hurt feelings. Why don't you just talk through a little bit? Um, the theme of the column, we'll, we'll get into like which schools you did or didn't include, but I yeah. thought the theme was interesting in terms of the, um, the lessons this may have for yeah because that's the part that i found most interesting because when the news started breaking about the super league and obviously if you follow our soccer coverage on the athletic you know this has been bubbling for quite some time but when they actually put the press release out on sunday i'm reading that thing i'm like this is the biggest sports story in the world and maybe the biggest sports story at least the biggest sports business story in the world in the last like 50 years like this is massive this this makes the realignment in college football from 10 years ago. It's basically that times a million. Right. And it's crazy because you look at it and you could see it happening. And then I, I started, I tweeted something about it, you know, kind of comparing it to, to some stuff that's happened in college football. And a lot of people tweeted back like, oh no, they want to make it exactly like college football. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, they kind of do. They, because you know, the, the thing that soccer fans love, and, and we get these emails from soccer fans who are also college football fans every year, they love promotion and relegation. And what that means is if your team is, is in a second division, but it's really good, it can be promoted to the top division while the lowest performing teams in the top division get relegated down to the second division. And we see this with Power Five, Group of Five all the time because, you know, why shouldn't Boise State or UCF get called up? or Cincinnati get called up and Kansas or uh, Rutgers or Oregon state gets sent down and it frustrates college football fans because there's this pecking order that's established and you can't change it. And I think that's what the soccer, it seems like that is what makes the soccer fans the maddest is it's 15. They want to use 15 clubs. I I think they've only got commitments from 12 because I think the German ones and the, and the French one don't want to do it yet, but basically spread out over various European countries. And it's not like they're the best, although the best are included in there, but it's the most popular. And so it would be like cherry picking the most popular college football programs, regardless of success and saying, these are the founding members. They can never be relegated. They'll always get the money from this thing. And, you know, I I thought about that because we have talked about that in terms of college football. Like what would happen if, if the top, top, top ever broke away and how would you decide who and how would you decide how many? So I went with 15 just because that's the plan for the founding members of the Super League. I think of the, their, their plan is actually 20 with five that can be promoted or relegated. But I, I went with 15 mostly because I knew it would be painful because I knew there would be choices I'd have to make in, in creating the 15 that would really piss people off so- because it's not fair. And, and, and it's not based on success. And it's just, it's infuriating. It's the 15 biggest brands. Let me ask you this, Andy. Yeah. So you said it's not based on success necessarily. But it um, is sort of. It, so, it, yeah, it's part of it. Okay. So let, for people who haven't seen your list, I'm going to rattle through it. And then I'm going to point out the ones that I, I would imagine would be the ones where, and I'm looking at this saying, okay, who has had high level of success? Who, you know, who really hasn't Alabama, no brainer, Auburn, pretty much no brainer, Clemson, a no brainer, Florida, pretty much a no brainer. Is Clemson a no brainer though? Clemson is very recent success, fairly small fan base. I just feel like if you start one in 2021, you have to include Clemson. Yeah, you 10 years ago, it would have been Tennessee. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Georgia, pretty much no-brainer. LSU, pretty much no-brainer. Michigan, pretty much no-brainer. Nebraska, we're going to get to that in a bit. Notre Dame, pretty much no-brainer. Notre Dame are no-brainer. Ohio State, a no-brainer. Oklahoma, no-brainer. Oregon, we'll get to them in a minute. Mm -hmm. Penn State, eh, we'll get to that one as well. Um, Texas and USC. Okay, so the three I'm gonna I want to ask you about Nebraska, yeah. Oregon, Penn State. Obviously, Nebraska and Penn State have won national titles. Oregon's played for national titles, and there's a regional component to them because aside from USC, everything else is is pretty far further east. Nebraska has been really mediocre in football for a long time. Um, so I would ask you. Why would like give me your best case of why Nebraska should be in one of those 15 when um, when you look at there and again, I'm looking at through primarily through the prism of what they have done basically in the last eight or nine years where I think they've had one winning season in the last six years, just in Big Ten play. You, you want to know why you want to know why I put Nebraska in there? Yes. Look at a map. If I don't put Nebraska in there, I have like a 2,000 mile gap between teams. Is that really the main reason, though? Is that really the main reason, or is it geography? Big Red Nation. They're a a huge brand. Wisconsin in there, Andy, where they've been better. Wisconsin and Nebraska aren't that close together. I mean, I I don't have anybody from Kansas. Like, I don't have any of the Great Plains states represented at all. I don't have the, the bread basket is not represented if you take Nebraska out of there. I mean, maybe you could put Iowa in there, but Iowa is is much closer to Chicago and much closer to because Iowa is on the east edge of the state of Iowa. But that that really is why, because I was trying to stitch together a national proposition because I didn't want to leave out various geographic regions. And you mentioned Penn State, Penn State. That's the only mid-Atlantic team. That's the whole Northeast. And Oregon is basically well, it is the whole Northeast Pacific Northwest for you then in that regard, correct? That's why Oregon's there. And also because I needed a second West Coast team and probably should have had a third. I mean, it really should have been USC, Washington and Oregon. And I take somebody else out later. But I just, you know, I, I can't ignore everybody west of the Rockies, which kind of is the problem in college football right now, the way the playoff system works. And, and Stuart, we can get to your, your Pac-12 story later. But I, that, that was my thing. is if I Because remember, you're creating this as a TV product. Yep. And you don't want to alienate an entire portion of the country and say, and then say, we don't want anything to do with this. You know, you, we're not represented here. And so, that's what, so that's what, so that's, I mean, you, you just hit the nail on the head. It, what we're talking about is a TV product. What the super, European Super League would be is a, is the is the what's the combination of teams we can put together that would draw the most TV we eyeballs want Real around Madrid the world? To play Manchester yeah. United on television. And so, if That's I'm a it. TV programmer and I'm looking at who's going to be good this year in in college football, like I would want Iowa State in there, right? They're probably going to be a top ten team. I'd want Cincinnati in there. But that's a that's a if you're just focused but on a very you short a TV term programmer. Because if, you, oh, so if you're mean, solely we, focused on the 2021 season, which is a TV pro as a I guess a, a network buying the rights to a 15, you have to think about who are the teams that are most likely to be in the mix on a long-term basis. All the time and you're going to look at history for that. And I know it's ancient history now at this point, but there was a time when Nebraska was always up there. And so I guess the question, and Bruce and I debated this a little offline is like, is Nebraska still capable of being that team if, or, or. Well, they, they are if they're in this group and they're making a hundred million bucks a year, because remember, this group's going to recruit better than everybody else because they're automatically better. They're, and Nebraska would get a recruiting better. bump from being part of this. Just from exactly. a TV, TV part of this, I'd asked uh, some TV experts that I know on that about with, and Andy, I appreciate you pointing it out very directly about the geographic component of, of Nebraska is different than these other places and why they fit. Like Wisconsin is a better TV draw in the last few years, obviously, because they've been consistently a top. Oh, and, and Wisconsin's a better team. I mean, let's be honest. It's if we're doing this based on success, they, they're in there. It's been a better TV draw than Nebraska. Yeah. Look, a lot of that is it's been a long time since Nebraska has been good, much less very, very good. So I think that hurts. Yep. But I look, you made your point on the geographic component of it. And I think that, it, you know, I'm glad you, you said it as directly as that. Yeah, because I mean. 
listen, Wisconsin, it, it, Texas A&M is the other one I left off. Like in no universe should Texas A&M be left out of something like this based on alumni base, uh, just passion of, of the fan base. Uh, they're in an area where there's a lot of people. So, but the, I had to do that that. because I had, well, I picked Texas. I put Texas in there. Why would, why, why not? I'm sorry. Why Texas over Texas A&M in that argument? Because, because I feel like outside of the state of Texas, the fans that want to see Notre Dame play somebody or want to see Penn state play somebody or want to see Ohio state, they want to see them play Texas. Yeah. Texas still has that draw. And it's a more record. People burn orange. People recognize that color. I think it is. One of the like to me, there's probably five or six schools on here where I think you look at it and it has a very strong brand recognition. Alabama's that. I feel like LSU to some degree. I think Oregon is that. Michigan is that. A lot of people don't. Notre Dame is that. Ohio State is that. Oklahoma, Penn State, Texas, USC. That's the ones to me. So, but I feel like Oregon's like that too. I, I, I think. In Florida, if you see the O, or if you're in New York and you see the O, you know what that means. Because yeah, they think Oregon themselves cool. Oregon gets not, you know, um, still kind of ostracized a little bit because they haven't actually won a national championship. They've come close. But I agree with you, Andy. I think they've they have made themselves a national brand just with the uniforms and the offense and and the players that have come through there recently. I mean, Mariota and now Justin Herbert and whatnot. So um now, you, so this is a purely fantasy exercise. We don't have to deal with like real anything real world in it. In the real world, thank goodness. If 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 these schools banded together and Texas was in it and Texas A and M wasn't, the hell oh, fire the, that would reign among Texas politicians in yeah. Austin. Yes, I don't think it would. I don't think it could happen. I think that the well, in the, the from the governor on down, alone. they would they would threaten to pull funding. I mean, we saw this during during realignment, you know, like, well, okay. Let me, let me ask you guys this question because I I chose 15 just because that's what the super league was doing. Where do you think the real number is where the, the money per team stops going up and starts going back down? Like, where would you pop that number? If you did this in college football, is it, is it 20? I think it's probably 24. I think it's up in the upper twenties. Well, when I did this, I I did this for the realistically, you would do A&M, you would have Wisconsin, you would have Iowa, you would have Michigan State, uh, you would have Tennessee. So I, I, there would definitely be more, I think, if you did it in, in college football. So when I did this first, so it was two years ago now that I did the future realignment uh, article and I had five scenarios from like pretty tame to completely radical. And the completely radical one was the college. I called it the Premier League. I do think having studied this or followed this story recently should have been called the champions college football champions league. So I went with 28. Um, it probably should have been 24 because I had to basically, it, it, you know, once I got to 25, it, like there was no going back. Like there was nobody I felt comfortable cutting, but to get to 28, I did have to put in a couple that probably shouldn't make the cut South Carolina, Arkansas, somebody might say West Virginia, but everybody else, I felt like, could pull their own weight. So just so the the one, I'll just tell you the ones that I had that weren't in your fifteen would be uh, Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, Iowa, Michigan State, um, Wisconsin, Arkansas, South Carolina, Tennessee, A&M, Texas right? A Texas A and M, UCLA, Washington. Because I also did a East yeah. Division, Midwest Division, South Division, West. So to fill out right, that West I, Division. I, I, I yeah. think that's a very that's a very fair list right there. Stu uh, probably cutting off at 24. Stu, who would you take who who was your maybe two biggest? I don't know if I agree with Andy on these. If you had two out and two in from his 15. Um well it's hard 15, it's hard to say any of those don't deserve to be in there. I guess maybe I would do the Nebraska Wisconsin swap. I don't see how you I mean you gotta have AM in there. I'm just not sure who you would pull out, you know. Now we haven't even talked about Florida State. Like their fans are looking at this you, going, are you crazy? <laughs> we, well, you, you we're could Florida out, State. You could pull out Auburn and, and put AM in. I think you, you could do that. You could, but I, I think Auburn's probably at this point, because you may, as you said in there, like no disrespect, but AM hasn't won anything of consequence. Well, here's, yet, here's the other thing, right? Here's the other thing I was considering was if I can get a rivalry game in there, 
do it because that's valuable too. Like the Iron Bowl has value. So I, in, in the way I did it, I kept Michigan, Ohio State. I kept Texas, Oklahoma. I kept Florida, Georgia. And I kept the Iron Bowl. Now, you could actually, you actually kept the you Deep South Southwest rivalry too because you Georgia and Auburn. Yeah. Oh, and Nebraska, Oklahoma becomes a game again. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so. I, think, I think Auburn has more national appeal than A&M to this point because of Cam Newton, because they, uh, yeah. they were in the national title game again in, in 2013 because people see these great Iron Bowls. Um, you know, if A&M actually wins the national title or even wins the SEC, maybe you revisit that, but they haven't done that yet. Yeah. Well, and Florida State's an interesting one because they've had more recent success than a lot of these places. They've won a national title in the last eight years. The thing with Florida State is when Florida State's not good, who talks about them nationally? Who's thinking about Florida State nationally right now? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, they they just kind of fall completely off the face of the earth when they're not dominating. Same with Miami. Um, yeah. You know, who would have thought? Now, but, but Miami didn't used to be like that. Miami, as even even though they weren't winning, you know, early 2000s, even though they weren't winning national titles anymore, they were still like, oh my God, it's the U. And right. now it's because it's been so long. And I think Nebraska's getting there too. I think, you know, they're, they're sort of into the last. Oh, I think Nebraska's past that. I think Nebraska has reached the point yeah. of like, we, we just don't care. You know, now Bruce and I were talking about this yesterday. I feel like when the TV networks decide who they're going to show in those early non-conference games before this, where everybody's undefeated, like Nebraska played Colorado the last couple of years. And that was an appealing matchup for TV. You know, Nebraska, when they made the, yeah, first, when they've got, when they've got hope, it's, it's worth it because their fans are engaged. Yeah, When they decided what the first game of the delayed big 10 season was going to be on Fox, it was Nebraska, Ohio state. Right now, once they are two and six, then nobody cares anymore. I think but that right. is one of those teams. People do kind of instinctively once tune it's in like for one and two, I think people, I don't think it's two and six too. I think it's once it's like one and two it to me, just from, you know, talking to some of my bosses, when a team is ranked just has a 24 next to it is a yeah. big difference in the ratings appeal. And we're not talking about Ohio state because you know, Ohio state is a massive draw. We're not talking about Michigan and to some degree, Penn state is like that. The rest of them aren't like that. Um, and just speaking on, you know, the rest of, you know, Fox has Big 12 and and certainly the Pac-12. There's just not – USC has some appeal even when they're not that good, but the rest of them just don't. Um, and even does, Oklahoma does Texas, State, Texas still does, right, even if they're not that degree, good? To some degree. Okay. Not, you know, like it's different. Like it's like Ohio State is a massive draw. Michigan is a massive draw. No matter like, what. Yeah, the Big 12 – Ohio State's always uh, good, but – the Big 12, is, as Oklahoma is, is not like an Ohio State or a Michigan. So here's a great example of what we're talking about in terms of, because I think fans get frustrated and understandably so that the brand still carries so much that it's, you know, like we're talking about with soccer, right? That it's not about who deserves or not deserves. That ends up just being the brands. But remember when last year Penn State started, oh, and whatever, Michigan was mm-hmm. terrible. But when Penn State played Michigan on November 28th, and I don't at that point, I guess they're, you know, they were four or five games in ABC put that game on at noon and it got four million viewers. It got more viewers Fun. than Iowa State against Texas with Big 12 championship implications like those brands still draw eyeballs even when they're bad. No doubt. Well, I mean, I, Penn State, I, I think Penn State people... fans needed to watch a win. <laughs> Wasn't that their first win? It was. it was. It was. But I think that's the, the thing. Those schools in particular in Ohio State. They are loyal. I'm not saying that Nebraska fans aren't diehard and loyal because I've been at a Boulder, Colorado, you know, stadium when they packed it. But I just think there's so many more of them. Um, And also those brands, those schools have a lot of alums in, you know, like Stu and I both lived in, in, in the New York city area. There's a lot of Ohio state fans. I know a lot of Ohio state fans out here in Los Angeles. And I know a bunch of these are just massive alumni bases, period. You know, they're old schools. They've, they've been big schools for a long time. And I don't, I don't mean big as in big name. They have had large enrollments for a long, long time. So that that helps. <laughs> and that's what and that's why it's hard to leave out like a Wisconsin or a Michigan state because they're kind of the same boat. And Bruce, to your point about Nebraska, that same weekend, Nebraska played Iowa on Fox 
on Black Friday and it got 2.7 million viewers. That was less than Oregon, Oregon State. That was less than Pitt, Clemson that weekend. So, and, and Iowa was pretty good last year, but Nebraska was terrible. And there you go. So you know, pretty good game, though. I remember that game. It was a pretty compelling game once you watched it. Um, you know, and sometimes the ratings numbers do speak to what happens when there's a blowout in a game. Like I think we talked a little bit, Stu, about that Nebraska Colorado game my crew did. That yeah. was a great game. So, and I don't, I'm trying to remember what we were up against, but like that got a pretty good TV number. I was going to say, I don't think, I don't think there was anything particularly compelling against it. And it was the, oh, you're right. the best game of that day yeah. in terms of competition. It was because it, it came down to the very end or did it go to overtime? Uh, no, it, it went into overtime. This was Mel Tucker's year at Colorado where they, they was, beat him. Yeah. In, and it was, in a, Boulder, it was yeah. a 17, nothing deficit they had going into the sec going into the second half. So it was just, it was a fun day to be there. Maybe not for diehard Nebraska fans, but because there was a lot of them, but I, um, you know, I, again, I just, from looking at this, this is an interesting exercise because I would imagine of the three of us, I just devolve into like, who's winning championships, who's, you know, like seeing it going well. And then when you, you make your, your point about, and it, again, I don't know. There's not necessarily r- certainly right or wrong answers to this. There is no, yeah, there is no right or wrong to this. Yeah, I think um, you know our friend Ralph Russo did one. I feel like I saw some of the ESPN people. He almost left LSU off. He texted me. I was like, mm, no. have fun with that. Yeah, we got that same text. Like, Mm-mm. can't do that. Same reason you can't start a league without Clemson right now. Yeah. Um, well, but taking a step back and looking at the like, kind of taking a look at this more broadly, right? Like why did we all jump into this, to this mode yesterday? Right. Like why did our, why did our light bulbs all go off? Like, Ooh, what a college football super league look like? Because as I said, like soccer fans reaction to this is universally don't do this. This is awful. You will kill soccer. You will kill off the smaller teams. And as I said on Twitter, like I'm dispassionate about this. I don't not like soccer. I'll just to be clear. I'm not one of these like American yahoos who are like, oh, they, they can tie and they play. So they're playing nothing. Their and, and they play nil, nil ties. I ain't gonna watch that. No, soccer is exciting. I just don't have time for another sport in my life. Like, I, you know, we all have kids I, like, I, you're chasing them around. Like, I will be the ugly American. I really have no interest in a one nothing game. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, I watched the World Cup. I think it's exciting. I just haven't ever like gotten into a full Premier League season or whatnot. But I get it, and I get that. Name five five soccer players. Me? Well, you're the only stew on this podcast, so yes. <laughs> Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, <laughs> Megan Rapino, <laughs> uh, Alex Morgan. If you're asking me five international soccer players, the guy, the, the French guy, Henry. Um, <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> they, I knew a lot more when the World Cup was going on. <laughs> Um, so wait, well, you, I lost my train of thought Christian, here. Is it, do you pronounce it Pusillic? Is it? Yes. He's, like he's very good. American player. He's very good. Other, other than. Okay. This the is going the way I thought it was going to go. Okay. So, um, so, well, okay. So th- there was an interesting story. So this is where I was getting. So the, the, the universal lament is that this is going to completely kill all the little kind of grassroots, you know, these, these clubs in England, that have been playing soccer for a hundred years and they have like, you know, the, the, the cities that they're in are, are passionate. They live and die with this team. I believe team. you just described Statesboro, Georgia. Yeah. Like, well, what I described was as I'm listening to people talk about this, I'm like, Oh, this is March madness. Like they, you know, this is it. You know, when people talk about the, our, our, you know, the, the power five going to break away from the NCAA, I always say, well, we're not going to break away in all sports because they know that March madness would be worthless if, if it was just them, like the whole appeal of March Madness is that Abilene Christian can sneak up and beat somebody. And that's the same thing you're hearing about, like, yeah, Man- Manchester United and and, you know, Liverpool, like they are generally the best teams year in and year out. But once in a while, the equivalent of a 16 seed rises up and wins Leicester a bunch City. of games. So exactly. Leicester City won won the Premier League. But so but so you don't want to lose that. And I get that. But I, like, you know, that's. The, it's what they're describing is not all that different if at all than what we have in college football right now it's a very like yeah they advertise it as being open to anybody they give that you know token 
uh, welfare bid to the one group of five team. But at the end of the day, it's the same 10 to 15 schools who, who run the system, uh, who are always going to get preferential treatment to that system. And so if they did break off and do some sort of confederation, like it would just basically be them like saying out loud, like, hey, we're the ones that bring all the value to this thing. Why should we have to share our loot with a bunch of teams that are never going to make this thing? Well, well, the, the reason I wanted to test this was because my first thought was, why are they complaining all the best team, all the teams they actually want to see play each other? They're going to play each other now regularly on TV. Why, do, why wouldn't you want that? And so then I, I was like, OK, well, let's see if we did that in college football. And at first, I'm like, I'm thinking about the schedule of this 15 team Super League that I've made. I'm like, ah, I'd definitely watch this. And then I'm like, you know what? After like five years, I would be so sick of this. <laughs> I'd be done with this. Like, and, and that's the thing. And, and then I thought, you know, a little bit further, like one of the reasons people are mad at college football right now is because it does feel like the same thing happens every year and the same team makes teams make the playoff every year and they want some fresh blood and they want some new storylines. And I don't blame them. I mean, I, I get to the point where I've been covering this sport for a long time and I get bored too. Like I want something different to happen whether they got to make it happen through a rule change or, you know, it just happens naturally. Cause you know, at some point Nick Saban decides to retire or Dabo Sweeney decides, you know, he, he wants to do something different or I don't know what it is, but right now it's just not that interesting. And I think that's what the soccer fans are. Wondering. Yeah. Well, this would essentially be like the NFL in terms of you would have like of these teams, let's take Nebraska out. Cause we talked about them. Alabama hasn't been, not great in a long, long time, but you go through the list Auburn, they're up and down, but they're not very up and down. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not like what I'm about to say is we have 15 teams, you know, like Florida had a, had a slightly down year, but not terrible. Somebody's got to go three and nine. There's not somebody, a bunch of teams are going to go half of you and 10, you know, like this is not going to go well. Like, you know, if you're Nebraska, if you're Oregon, you know, like if you're like, this is going to be rough for a bunch, you know, bunch of these teams. And, well, and it's not going to be like the NFL where the 49ers are awful one year. And then, but they went to the Super Bowl a few years ago and they're going to go to the Super Bowl again in a couple of years. Like, it's not like that. Well, it's also not a parody based thing because in the NFL, you're talking about a small, way smaller group than certainly the FBS but it is a parity based model. There is a salary cap. Good luck putting a salary cap in college football. Not going to happen. There is no, there's a draft in the NFL. There is no, no draft in college football. So it's not a parity based model. So like, again, I'm not arguing for it or against it, but I just think it's going to be like some Notre Dame. If the Notre Dame is playing the schedule, Notre Dame may be eight and eight a bunch of years or seven. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Mm-hmm. All 15 of those schools, like, there's not going to be like a artificially, um, you know, manipulated parody like you're talking about with the NFL. But all 15 of those schools have like you're not talking about, um, you know, college. I mean, the way college football is now. Right. Like there's there's 10 or 15 schools that generally land the best recruiting classes. Right. There, there were and they have a variation. And they would trade like somebody, somebody would win 10 games one year and then win four games. Yeah. I think it would be a lot like the NFL nine games. I think because all those schools are, you know, have the ability to recruit at a very high level, like nobody would be at a huge disadvantage. Any others would just be being in that club. You would, you would. Yeah. Like it would just be who, who, you know, one school, all it would take frankly is like one school happens to recruit uh, Tua that year. And actually suddenly they're better than the other teams. Think about it this way. The club right now is actually smaller than that. Yep. The club of uh, like the club is Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, LSU. That's the club. May Oklahoma. But I'm not. But Oklahoma, I'm not sure recruits on that level. Right. Like, now, somebody would say, oh, but just, Andy, somebody would say, but, but we had we had that's the club that can win it all right now. Now, somebody might say, oh, but. Michigan State made the playoff one year and Washington made the playoff one year. And like, you're just going to be Once. shutting those schools out completely. But I would counter that, you know, they're not there. We could play the college football playoff exactly as it is now for the next 50 years. And, and those teams are not going to win the national title. 
the, the, we could play the college football player for the next 50 years. And the list of schools that will have won the championship at least once will be like 12 to 15 long. Right. So it's probably about right. I do want to ask one quick question. We know Andy's list of top 15. Just give me a one, uh, one team and a sentence or just say no. Um, of the teams that are not in this 15, is there one school that is not here that you think within the next 10 years could win a national title as a legit Texas chance. A&M. Yeah. A&M, but okay. they, they have all, I know they haven't done it, but they've got all the pieces in place to do it. Yeah. They, 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 and they've always had the resources. That's one of the, that's the mystifying thing about Texas A&M is they've always had all the raw materials to be in this club. They just haven't for whatever reason gotten into it as, as we uh, record this guys, uh, Chelsea and it appears man city also, not backing out the super league now yeah oh geez well look Fans i mean winning they're winning nature is healing what did what did they think the reaction was going to be like are these i guess i should these billionaires are do live in a bubble so i could see like what did they think the reaction was going to be when they announced this i it's just so now we find out if like they have the stomach for it to just plow ahead and maybe they don't um but good to know um okay this has been a good discussion. Andy, thanks for, I mean, you, you, you do, how many shows a week do you do? <laughs> I do three shows a week. And then uh, during the football season, uh, we, we add a little bit extra. I do a, a football and grits with David oven talking SEC. And uh, yeah. So you're already talking three hours a week. We appreciate you coming on and adding and talking for another hour with us. My pleasure. My pleasure. And uh, I'll be recording uh, later on this day for a Wednesday morning drop of a, a, Pre, we're going to talk a little draft with uh, with Mina Kimes from ESPN. Okay. I'll be listening. And with that, please say, we'll get back to your listener emails next week. Uh, send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.